Hi, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, I'm joined by Susan Bryant, the CPA and owner at MB Group, a public accounting firm that provides businesses with solution-oriented accounting services. Susan is really passionate about transforming businesses and the lives of their owners by professionalising the finance function in their organisations. Susan is a fierce advocate for her profession and was named one of the top 50 women in accounting in 2021. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Accounting Leaders podcast, Susan Bryant. Uh, good morning, Susan. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me on the show. I, it's great to be here. Thank you. Now, you look very fresh for somebody that was out partying all night. Tell me how the concert was. Oh, man. Yeah, Lady Gaga, she put on a really great show. But yeah, coming home at two o'clock in the morning and getting up for a whole day of accounting tasks is, uh, whew, might be getting a little too old for this. <laughs> Well, you look fresh and, and fantastic. So uh, it must have been a very, um, you've you've pulled up very well. Which stadium? Uh, how many people? Is, is this part of a sort of big post-COVID tour? I haven't seen this on uh, advertised or anything, but Lady Gaga probably, I'm not, probably not on, the, on her newsletter. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't either. I just had kind of expressed to my husband, like, I really like, you know, a few of these songs. And so he saw that the tickets that she was coming to, she performed at Globe Life Stadium in Arlington uh, here near the DFW area. So, I mean, it was packed. Good. Lots of people. Yeah. It looked like a completely full house. I mean, all the tiers of the stadium, all the way up to the tippy tippy top, just full (laughs) of people. So, yeah. We want live music and shows after COVID, right? Like it's it's been um, difficult few years. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like everything's kind of back uh, here anyway. I can't tell you the number of happy hours, uh, business events, breakfast, lunches, I mean, you name it, conferences, everything is like full throttle, which is fabulous and really great and really driving a lot of business. You know, enterprise is really compounded by everyone's efforts to really make things happen. So it's nice to see, you're right, refreshing after a couple of years of everything being so radically different than what we knew before. Tell me about the your start in accounting and and how that came about. Let's we'll start at the start. What was did you do a college degree in in accounting and was it a traditional entry to the industry? No, I got into accounting all sorts of backwards. That includes the education piece of it. So I started off. Um, I always knew I wanted to be in business. Like when I was thirteen, I asked my parents for a briefcase for Christmas. So I was I guess like, sort of. Programmed. It was like born into me. I wanted to be in business. Were your parents uh, running small businesses? No, my dad was. Uh, um, he uh, worked for a chemical plant his entire, almost his entire career, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. So they knew they were not entrepreneurs, not even a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah. There you go. You, you're the breakout of the family, were you? Definitely. I mean, I was sort of conditioned. You know, you're going to go to college and you're going to get a really good job. And that's the job you're going to do for the whole rest of your life. So when I got to college and I decided I wanted to do marketing, I started doing marketing. And then I went to the college career center and they said, Susan, if you take some accounting classes, you'll get an even better job. So I said, well, my mom will be extremely happy to hear this. I will take some accounting classes. 
And then I took more accounting classes and I kept taking accounting classes, which kind of worked out sort of interesting because then my mother was saying, why are you taking all these extra classes? <laughs> these are expensive. It was sort of interesting. So I ended up getting a degree in marketing, but I just had lots of accounting hours. So I went on to complete the necessary requirements to sit for the CPA exam. I started off my career in internal audit working for a bank. I previously in high school and college was a bank teller. So banking was a natural transition for me. Behind the bar, but without alcohol, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and probably paying better, I hope. Yeah. When I left the banking industry, I mean, to go into public accounting after I passed a CPA exam, I took a pay cut. <laughs> From bank teller to CPA. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and looking back, I mean, like, why did I do that? I just felt so compelled that if I had this certification as a CPA, I really needed to go find out what it meant to really be a CPA. And the only way to do that is to get into public accounting. So I did not start working for the big four. I went probably the other way. I went to the smallest firm possible where it was near where I lived and it was one partner and me. And that was it. Where did you grow up then? I grew up in a really small town in Texas called Port Lavaca, which is on the coast in between Houston and Corpus. So I just kind of migrated to, you know, through Austin where I went to school and then to Dallas and I've just kind of stayed here ever since. You and one partner. So uh, the enterprise had doubled in size overnight. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it was a really fascinating thing. So it was just me. I mean, I didn't even know what a trial balance was. Even with all those classes and everything. Even with all those classes, I had no, even by passing the CPA exam, all the prep, review, everything, I knew nothing about the practice of public accounting. So when I got there, I really... Like, I just kind of got thrown in and I'm a self-starter. So for me, it was probably a really good thing. I just had to figure it all out. So I did tax preparation. I did, we did assurance work. We did a little bit of accounting. We did like LIFO inventory and um, tracking. I mean, you name it, like Susan, you know, they said, who's going to work on that? It's, well, we have Susan's here. So <laughs> let's get her to do it. LIFO, FIFO, or, or um, uh, inventory accounting, cost accounting, manufacturing. Did you do any sort of um, manufacturing accounting as well? Because that, that's nearly the full gamut. <laughs> have now, but at the time, that particular CPA uh, who I worked for was really focused on working with auto dealerships. Auto dealerships, right. So big inventory, stock management, leases, commissions, payroll, complex payroll, right? Because... I don't know. I don't know if it's still this way, but real estate agents and auto dealers, right? Like they in America, they it's illegal in Australia. You can't do this, but they basically work for nothing, and it's it's all commission, right? Yeah, I think they get, usually get a low base salary, and then they're paid based on well, they call it the F and I guys, right? So they're the ones who are selling you like the extended warranty and the gap coverage. Oh, what is, the F doesn't stand for what I thought it did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, and also you know, all our dealerships they're they've been pretty innovative as outside of like inventory, these um, captives that they created, these warranty programs, they, these are like mini businesses to all of them. So it was, yeah, it was an education. I really enjoyed my time there. I learned a lot. I mean, I got to do everything. So kind of laid the foundation for, I think for me to be able to take that information and figure out what I'd like to do best and, you know, kind of what I'm great at. That must have been extensive uh, sort of groundwork for the rest of your career. What, what, uh, how long were you there, and and what happened to that firm, and did it sort of grow on on the back of your hard work, or or it was always supposed to be like a, a one and a half man band? <laughs> you know, I think the challenge with practitioners 
is that they're not necessarily visionaries for their own business, right? They get another client and they're still a practitioner. They're not really thinking about the scaling of their own firm. Not in that way. You know, practitioners are just, they're not really taught the business side of business. This is almost like doctors and dentists not being taught the business side of the business, right? So it's very similar. So uh, no, I left there. I went to a larger firm. That's where I met the founders of the MB group. And when they founded the MB group, then I came over here and joined them. Now the founders are now gone from this firm and myself and my business partner, Janet, we are the remaining two who are kind of carrying on the legacy. Great. And when did you join MB Group? That was 2006. So it's been a long time. My maths isn't very good this early. Uh, 16 years at the moment. And, and when did you take over the partnership? 2009. So it was when I joined. Yeah. All right. Okay. So- yeah, pretty early on. And it kind of got phased in incrementally, but then really kind of assumed all full ownership in 2018. So sort of kind of stair-stepped our way in there, um, you know, over a period of time. That's usually how it goes, right? But over that time, you know, you just figure out sort of what you're, where your place and what differentiates you in the marketplace and the things that we were just kind of really excelling at and the things that our clients wanted from us and what more clients wanted from us. So naturally we just evolved, right? This is sort of how it goes. Yeah, no, I get it. Well, firstly, you're still enjoying it. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, I am. It's changed so much. You know, the thing is, is that, you know, when you join a firm and it's a baby, right? It's less than a year old. It's a totally different thing than joining, you know, like working for a firm where now, you know, we've got 16 years under our belt. Totally different setup. I mean, my job changes every year. I feel like it's different only because our priorities shift. And so I have to be different to serve my clients differently and better and also serve my employees better. So I feel like I've got to constantly be growing and improving. Like it's almost relentless. Like I have to be ahead of them in terms of my own growth because I think that's the definition of a leader is someone who is thinking beyond where we are right now. So it's a constant effort to be really in re-envisioning over and over and over again, what direction we go next? What are we working on? What are our priorities? You know, what are the pathways for our people? How can we gain more talent? I mean, all the things that people talk about on all these podcasts, right? Like that's the job of the leader of the accounting firm to be thinking about all those things. We talk more about accounting today than I do usually. So we're getting our accounting quota and our leadership quota up. Usually we just talk complete shit. So I appreciate you bringing up the standard of, of our podcast, Susan, very much. But you're right. Leadership, the part of leadership is looking around corners, right? It is. And I, sometimes I feel like um, that's also what our clients need us to be doing. I, it's one of the things that I've probably been, we hear a lot going on in the industry right now. I mean, this is, I went to Scaling New Heights, Joe Woodard's conference in June, and it's just plastered over CPA.com everywhere is the notion of advisory services. And everybody has a different notion as to what this means, what it's defined by. But I think at the end of the day, it really has to do with accountants being prepared to assist their clients with financial leadership, right? Helping them to figure this out. So that means we have to be better leaders and that's hard. Yeah. And that's never been truer than the last few years, right? Like what is your client base typically? Like did you have uh, clients that were dramatically affected all the way through to sort of not so much? How, How did that sort of, what was your experience with your clients during COVID? Yeah. I mean, we did have clients that were 
impacted. That's hard. I mean, even if it was just for that initial quarter of the shutdown, you know, for the first few months. Yeah, <laughs> nobody nobody knew what the hell was going on. Right. Like, there's definitely, it's almost like shockwave, right? Like that just, shoo. but, you know, we were very swift and we, I called every single client, business client, and we talked about PPP here in America. You know, that was the, the method for gaining some financial relief distribution of taxpayers' funds back into the economy. Well, well, in America, it's Chinese funds. <laughs> That's right, yeah. So I think the, the good thing is, is that for us anyway, I think that action really helped our clients. And not, not everyone needed us in the same way, but for the people who really did not know how to navigate it, they had someone to help them. And now when we're gaining clients coming to us, I can see the difference between the businesses who had a solid advisor from a financial standpoint during COVID versus the ones who didn't. It is obvious. The, the state of their business, their cash balances, the strength of their financial standing is totally impacted by whether or not they were working with a good CPA or not. Yep, yep, yep. And I know some groups, some accountants sort of set up a whole sort of PPP group. They were just pounding through a job keeper in Australia and, and PPP in, in the US. Was that your experience? You sort of set up a, a group that was gained experience on the, on, on the job to sort of get through this that period? Yeah. I mean, we just kind of divided and conquered. And the crazy thing was, is that we were in the middle of tax season too. So it's not like we could just drop everything. And I mean, and we have ongoing accounting that still has to happen because you still have to be like, really monitoring your financials during that time too. So I mean, we just kind of divided among the people that we had, all of our staff and just everybody's just all hands on deck and let's get it done. So, you know, I guess that's where you played everybody's strengths. Yeah. Who's good at what? <laughs> and uh, we just get everybody moving, but yeah, we have an amazing team here. So I really think that's what kind of speaks volumes to our ability to help our clients. Yeah. But we've had a lot of clients though, who have shoot, the pandemic has been phenomenal for their business. It's like they're printing money almost because of how the pandemic has driven their the need in the marketplace for the services they provide. So what sort of businesses come to mind? What, what clients? Recruiting and staffing companies for sure. Because, you know, as soon as people needed people again, they needed them now. And so they just, they really benefited significantly. Construction, of course, because people were at home and like they were doing renovations and or building a new house. The real estate markets have gone crazy. Pool companies, pool construction. I mean, it's really interesting to sort of see. We definitely don't want to have another pandemic like that ever again. So it's just kind of interesting to think about that a little bit. What industries really thrived in a time when sickness was something that was either feared or just prevalent, right? It is interesting to think about. I mean, so many things going on in the world, right? And, and you know, like the mental health implications uh, of kids not going to school, missing out on, on rituals like graduations and weddings and funerals. And like the world was obviously, I mean, saying something stupid, isn't it? But, but dramatically impacted. But what do you think about this? I think we went through the great resignation, so to speak, and all of that. But I, I think there's something more to it in, and that the workplace in particular will will continue to evolve over the next 10 years. People still want that social connection, like working from home or working from anywhere. That's great. But there is this 
sort of human characteristic that desires purpose and output and and feel like you're contributing and you know in in particularly in westerns i mean most societies you know w- work is the common method for that and so i think that there is more of evolution to come in all of this i don't think it's just all you know jump in a van and drive around europe and work on your laptop I don't think that that's um, going to be the solution for everybody. <laughs> yeah, I think we have to rethink everything. You know, really, it's now we need to have an office for people who do want to have that connection. We probably need an office for the people who want both. They want to work from home and they want to come to the office. And then we probably need to have flexibility for people who are only going to work from home. And it's all the things because to attract the talent, we're going to have to really be able it's like we got to play in all the sandboxes. Okay. We're flexible. Same thing on on talent, right? So we might have to go search in a bunch of different ways. We got to get the bots. We got to get the AI. We got to get the technology. But we also have to get. Um, we probably also need to look at outsourcing some too, because we're not going to find all the talent here in our local areas, thirty minutes from our office, or maybe even within the confines of our countries. And then we also have to go grow and retain talent that is like, we're going to have to go cultivate it. So go into other industries and pull out people that have the aptitude for accounting and teach them what they need to know. And I mean, I think we got to do all the things. It's all the things. It's not just one thing. Because I think that that's how it was before. Like we're going to go to colleges and we're going to recruit and we're going to get a base and then 10% are going to leave and the rest of them are the next, you know, in 40 years, the next partners. Yeah. Try selling that to them. <laughs> yeah. It's just not going to work. No, it doesn't. If you said four months, maybe not 40 years. <laughs> well, that's what it's going to take for them to get enough money to buy out the partners who want to leave, right? So it's interesting. I mean, even here in the DFW area, seeing people leave, you know, pretty sizable firms, they're maybe in charge of the employee retention credits. They learn how to do it. And they're like, I'm basically making a bunch of money for these partners. I'm just going to go off and do this on my own because they can make a lot more money doing it. They'd be their own boss. So I think we're going to have to be a little bit more creative in order to get keep that talent in our company and not these traditional firm ideologies have got to just, we're going to have to ditch them. They got to go away. So there's three topics that could be uh, podcasts all by themselves. So AI and I guess the, the, the machine doing the work, which is traditionally done by people and, and typically in most industries, accounting, no exception, you kind of start at the, the least value work, right? So typically that's kind of reconciliation or matching bank accounts to expenses, matching the very lowest compliance. Uh, well, it's not even compliance yet, is it? It's just sort of the foundation of, of good books. Have you used, uh, say, a botkeeper or a pilot or any of these uh, services that are offering that? Yeah, we're we're implementing botkeeper. I think it's got to happen. Um, which means we have to convert everything to QuickBooks Online, which we're you know that gives frowny faces, you know, in lots of Teams messages for people. <laughs> Our team really likes QuickBooks Desktop, but it's the future. I think one of the things that we as accountants, you know, we 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 sort of I don't know. We're very averse to the change. Like we like what we like because it works for us because it's fast or whatever. But the future is the future. And sometimes it's just, we got to face it. We're going to have to accept that it's not exactly our way. We didn't get to decide. It's not perfect. But in order to take advantage of some of this technology, we've got to adapt. And we just have to say, it's okay that it's not our favorite. And everybody's just going to have to get on board and we got to go that direction. 
So that's hard, but yeah, we're definitely, that's a commitment for us is we just more technology and learning more about it. There's so much out there. I sometimes I feel like it's, it's changing so rapidly. It's hard to keep up with. Yeah. So trying to reduce cost in, in the bottom end, that makes sense. What other services or technologies have you looked at that are going to aid be the future of MB Group? So we implemented SurePrep on the tax side. That's been really helpful. SafeSend, uh, we're doing for some of the more complex uh, returns that have to get sent out because of the way that all of the states are transmitted. That cuts down on a lot of processing time on our end of like telling the client, like, mail this payment to this place and mail this payment to this place and sign here and all this business. So that speeds that up. Um, we are in the process of setting up and converting to ignition for all of our billing. So that's going to get automated. I mean, if anybody is where we were, which was a time and billing software, and it was generate an invoice, receive the payment, and then get it into the general ledger, right? Sync it somehow to the general ledger or record it. I mean, it's all manual. So now that all becomes automated. So it goes from billing to collection, applying the payment to syncing into the QuickBooks file. And so for us, that's like a dream. Like it's so much less time that we will spend on billing. So we can actually spend time doing the thing that we should be focused on anyway, which is like client work, the accounting and tax stuff. And how many people in the firm these days? We are a team of 34. Yeah, great. So that's grown considerably over your your time at the firm. What's next? What do you see as the sort of, if we're talking about looking ahead, what do you see sort of uh, in the next couple of years for the team? Well, I think that the first thing is, and I really feel like this is my mantra for next year, and that is do more, be more. Clients need more from us. So we are in the process of developing sort of a listing of all of these things that we, where we need to grow our capabilities and our skills in order to meet them where they are, or just add this to a service lineup. I mean, some of the things we know how to do, we just need to tell them we can do it, right? And help them in this way and make it a standard operating procedure. Like this is what we do. So like one of the things we created this year was something that I refer to as our strategic planning cadence, which is sort of an element of advisory services. So without a fancy software, right? So not going and buying any of the, I mean, it's so hard to decide which one to get. And so I was like, I just can't make that decision, but I know my clients need more. So we just developed this cadence and basically what it does is it goes through, it says the beginning of the year, we're going to help them create what's what I refer to as a plan on a page. And this is something that many people use in strategic planning, but like, let's just understand what their top four priorities are for the year. Let's help them create a document that lays that out, details everything out. We just spend a few hours with them building it and then we brand it, print it for them, and they can distribute it to their teams and get all of the alignment in their company going, whether that's two employees, 50 employees, everybody knows the direction that we're rowing. So we have alignment. We know that employee alignment engagement leads to profitability. So if we can help them in that way, we're winning. Then we incorporate in mid-year tax planning. So we're giving them sort of an, a check, you know, that thumb in the air on this is where you, how much you might owe in taxes. We need to start squirreling money away or start working on some strategies. So we've got, so we are not up against the year-end deadlines. So we've got time to educate on some of the more 
complex advanced tax reduction strategies that exist. Some of them just take time to implement and, and educate around, you know, and for people to get comfortable and not feel like they're not making a good decision and knowledgeable about that decision. And then, of course, helping them with the budget and, and making sure we get a budget in place before year end. And then the final thing that we do is we create for them a, a year in review to celebrate all the victories, whether that's number of new clients or customers or employees hired, locations opened, whatever it is that qualitatively and quantitatively speaks to the things that they want to celebrate, we got to get that into the organization and then track it so that they can actually see the results that they're making in their business. And what's been the impact of this kind of effort in, in the client base? Yeah, they love it. It's been incredible, really. I've seen some a lot more clarity in the direction that they're going as a company. And I see my business owners also taking on more of a leadership role because we're sort of pushing them into it. We hand them this document that they've helped us to create and we say, go communicate it to your people, like give it to them and talk to them about it. And now they have to lead these this group, whereas before maybe they were self-employed, they'd created a job for themselves. Now we're sort of pushing them ever so gently into this much different role. And um, we're almost leading them in their leadership journey. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. And I imagine that the client base would be at a different stage in, in this journey, right? Like it, some clients would be well at well au fait with, with being able to do this strategic planning and well ahead of the curve, I imagine. Oh, yeah. It runs the gamut. I mean, we definitely have clients who they do not need our help in this. They, they've they got it. And they're experienced business owners, right? So maybe they've bought and sold businesses before. They know the ropes, right? And then I've got clients who like they're too small and they don't need this right now. They just need the basics, like get my accounting done and file tax returns and the strategic planning stuff. Like I'm just trying to make sure I've got enough cash to pay all my bills. I'm building my business. I don't yet have people to lead, you know, they're, they're just at all these different stages and cycles in their, in their evolutions. And so, yeah, it runs the gamut for sure. Is there a customer, you don't have to name names if you don't want to, but is there one that sort of comes to mind where that, that you've worked with over the years and been on their journey with them and experienced, you know, like an interesting client, a, a wonderful client to work with, somebody that's uh, that you've seen really thrive and, and be successful with your help? Uh, yeah, one of them that comes to mind is actually an online retailer. So anyone can buy from them, which is really cool. Um, it, the company is called The Zigzag Stripe. They sell clothing. It's like an online boutique. And they are just tremendous people. It's originally, um, they got introduced to us because the husband of the wife who started it, he's a firefighter. And we were doing some work with a firefighters association. And he said, hey, my wife is starting this business. Can you help us? And it's been fascinating to see and help them over the course of their business and to see it have grown, especially during COVID, which is so surprising. But, you know, online, anything just kind of took off during that time. Yeah, so everybody should check them out for sure. But tremendous being able to help on the accounting side and the tax side, and then also on the advisory and being able to contribute in so many different ways. I mean, that's what this is all about, is seeing our clients achieve their goals, right? And that transformation that is possible because as soon as that business really starts to accelerate, so many good things can happen. They're extremely charitable. So, you know, they really want their organization to be able to do more to give back. So they have fundraising efforts and things like that. So it's just really cool because you can see 
we're helping them build this vehicle to make a even bigger difference. And it's just a ripple effect through the through the world, I think. You know, I think that's how it, how it works. And was there a moment that you shared with them that uh, you all sort of realized that that you know all, all their hard work and all their efforts were were finally coming to fruition? Yeah, I mean, just I mean, I feel like it's so gradual in some ways. I mean, because when you're working with someone so closely, I mean, it's like watching your own child grow. So you don't notice it every day. But when your like mom or aunt or old friend comes over, like, oh my goodness, your child has grown so much. Like they're so they're so grown up. I almost feel like that's how it is when we're working so closely with the business owners. Because we're just right there alongside of them watching their baby, their business to really kind of blossom. Yeah. And, and when your kids are growing and uh, yeah, you, you, <laughs> you need to get out of the house and sometimes that's the same. But, you know, like when they do something great at sport or, or when they achieve, you know, when they get A's at school or something, sometimes there's a moment that you share with your clients that uh, might be a 10th anniversary or something. Was, was there anything that you, it might be their biggest sale or something? Was there anything that you sort of shared with them that's like, oh, fuck, all this hard work, well done, you know, really good. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think like, you know, purchases, especially of like new buildings, hiring of new employees, when they're transitioning, like truly building out their management team. And now they've got another person who they're trying to groom into this leadership role. I mean, I think those are the moments where you're sort of high-fiving with your clients. Like we're getting there, right? These big things. On the flip side for us, the things that we're celebrating for them are big wins when we come up with really awesome tax strategies for these clients because we are just trying to keep every single dollar in that business owner's pocket because we're really, we know that if they can keep that money in their business, the ROI is huge. But if we don't help them by uh, preventing those dollars from going towards taxes, then we just know that the money's just a sunk cost. They don't get it back. There's no ROI for them. There's no, it's just gone. So we got to just, we're trying to be the idea generators as much as possible. New ideas all the time on how to save taxes. Yes. There was a famous Australian who's who's dead now, but um, he famously said in parliament, you know, sort of in the house, he said, well, the reason that I is something along the lines of I'm sure I could look it up. I'm sure it'd be on YouTube or something. But he said something along the lines of you know I minimise my tax because all you bastards have got no idea how to spend it properly. <laughs> exactly. Yes, it's so true though. I mean, shoot, I just posted an article on LinkedIn on Sunday. The Washington Times did this. Um, they had a reporter go in and look at the IRS offices in Austin, Texas, and oh yes, I saw this one where <laughs> the ADB an extra 80,000 employees or something. Right. And we've got, uh, they're using COBOL. The system is in COBOL. It's black with green, what? And fax machines. We have to fax information to the IRS. That is so antiquated. You know, I jokingly said on, you know, LinkedIn, like, you know, what are they still using? Blackberries and pagers too? I mean, do they use abacuses or, or <laughs> I don't know. You know, there's a dozen COBOL programmers hanging around making $2,000 an hour for the, the IRS, you know. <laughs> right. That's where the 10, whatever, how many billions of dollars, I can't remember how many billions of dollars they're going to get. But yeah, they're probably going to go to the one guy who can fix the machine to sort the mail or something. 
thing. Well, maybe I should uh, dust off my COBOL from. I did one class of COBOL at college. There you go. <laughs> maybe or become conversion away from COBOL experts because you know at some point they're going to have to get off of this program. <laughs> we'll put the link to that article in the show notes. But it was the picture of the cafeteria, wasn't it? it was like this is why the IRS needs. Uh, it's quite funny. I mean, uh, around the world, like. Uh, IRS is diabolical for its technological progression, but um, Australia is sort of slowly getting there, but but sort of seem to find new and fascinating ways of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. The UK, they're making tax digital project while delayed is at least a step in the right direction, right? Like they're trying. <laughs> yeah, they're trying. I mean, in the United States, you know, it's like, we'll just hire 87,000 people. The IRS is very trying. <laughs> and where are you going to find these 87,000 people? That's what I'd like to know. <laughs> but hey, I'm glad that's their problem to solve and not mine. Although it does impact us as, in a significant way. I mean, because... We just can't get anybody to answer the phone. We can't solve problems, notices. I, so many, I'm in so many Facebook groups with other CPAs and I mean, so many notices that are wrong, auto-generated, you know, clients are panicked and confused and it just takes an epic amount of effort to get it resolved. To resolve, yeah, in, in any kind of satisfactory solution, yeah. I mean, I think generally the authorities stay out of the way in, in America, but when they do get involved, it's, it's a, you know, you're on this shock and treadmill of, of bureaucracy, which is horrific. In Australia, you know, I would, having been out of it for a while and sort of looking back, I think a lot of them want to be in your business. Like there's pretty much, and same in the UK, like, you know, you got to lodge your payroll now every, every pay run with the authorities so that they know exactly your expenditure. They, they pretty much know your tax return by the end of the year. And so they can, you know, further monitoring in theory leads to less less well fraud or, or at least creative accounting, right? I don't know if that's true. I mean, I guess pro probably it is, but... Um, yeah. You know, I think that's interesting. I think it's just this, it's this culture in accounting and maybe even tax and even in authorities is like, I mean, we just got to like reimagine, like there's got to be a better way, right? <laughs> you can't use that word of the IRS. There's not, not many, <laughs> there's not many imaginations there, I don't think. <laughs> that might be asking a little too much. <laughs> For a Wednesday morning, Susan, I think we might be getting ahead of ourselves. Oh, <laughs> uh, I blame Lady Gaga concert. Oh, good, yeah. good. Okay. Yeah, no, she'd shake up the IRS, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm sure uh, when um, she comes anywhere near Nevada that uh, our our 12-year-old, in particular a 10-year-old, would love to get along to that show. So I'll, I'll look out the dates. But um, we've come to time, Susan, but I, I greatly appreciate your your input and, and uh, all your efforts for the industry. Congratulations on all your success so far with MB Group. I think it's fantastic what you do for your clients and, and the culture that you've created there. And, and uh, if there's anything that we can ever do to help, please don't hesitate. Oh, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was great chatting with you today. And thanks again for having me on the show. Of course, Susan. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com slash resources.
I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you in the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.